As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome. This is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks so much again for joining us. And we're here to deal with the biggest talking points and dive deep into all the top issues of the weekend. Nothing is going to escape our eagle eye. So, Alex, before we start on anything else, your immediate reaction to Tony Adams staying on Strictly? Extraordinary, right? Tony Adams? Yeah. I didn't know he was on Strictly. Oh, Sorry. What a moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm Celebrity SAS. Uh, and I might have to watch Mike Tyndall in the jungle, but I'm going to try and Ooh. avoid it if I can. Uh, try and avoid Matt Hancock, maybe. Oh, oh def- well, <laughs> I might watch it uh, and revel in a bit of Matt Hancock getting yeah. Beatles shoved down his face. <laughs> um, but no, Celebrity SAS is probably the closest I'd okay. go to any of those shows. Right. Yeah, no, mate, Tony Adams, he's getting the Arsenal vote. They're, they're so, winning yeah. everything at the moment. Is he good? No, he's terrible, but okay. that's not the point. That's, and no. He keeps coming bottom and then... Arsenal, I think there was a story that someone wrote the other week that Arsenal fans are just clubbing onto him, so that he's getting like two million votes or something. Is, and is this why you in. dashed off from Twickenham yesterday? And oh you yeah, didn't come for a beer because you, you said oh, I've got dinner plans, but actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to go I did watch have the, the results show of Strictly. I had nachos, but yeah, and then also watched the Strictly results show. Yeah, but anyway, are, are there any rugby players on it? Uh, not this year. No, right. Uga Moni was last year, wasn't he? And did okay for a bit. For a bit, and then yeah, he went out. Poor guy. Um, but we will talk about some rugby this week. There's going to be lots coming up. We're going to look back on all the international action in the Autumn Nations series. A top guest, we've got an exclusive chat, the first chat with Dan Bigger um, since he's successfully joined Toulon. A hell of a move for him from Northampton mid-season. It's on the right there. And we'll touch on England reaching the World Cup final in New Zealand in the Women's World Cup. We'll name God or Goddess of the Week. But first, Alex, we were at England, weren't we? At mm. Twickenham. We sat next to each other, rainy old Twickenham. Um, how was that for you? Oh, it was just really grey. It was it was leaden skies. It was raining. England in black kit. Sunday afternoon, and it was sort of sullen and depressing and disappointing. Um, you know, well, I'm sure we'll go and have a proper deep dive into the game, but the whole place was flat. It was down on energy. It was down on intensity and. It was down on accuracy, and in and England, England were poor. I'm sorry, they put themselves in a in a position to win that game, but couldn't. But kept kept allowing Argentina in it. Argentina fought really hard. I think watching it back, you you notice how disruptive they were defensively, and and they deserved they deserved it actually. Um, but it was just a really poor occasion. You know, particularly having having watched the Saturday games and and the. The, the sort of the bite and the brilliance of those different games, the the ferocity and intensity, like the the Ireland South Africa game felt like it really mattered, like it felt like everyone there was invested in it, and and on Sunday it kind of felt like no one was really that that into it. It was just a really disappointing occasion. Yeah, completely. We had a discussion about this after the game, and it's that no one's blaming fans because they spend a hell of a lot of money to get there, and in mm. at times where your energy bills are going through the roof and all that. It's good effort to get 80,000, to be honest, at Twickenham with very expensive ticket prices. But I can't remember a flatter Twickenham no. for years. 
And like we've been there when they had the adversity backs against the Wall Island game where it was all rocking. And there are times when the England fans do roar a bit more. The atmosphere was so silent. The rain maybe didn't help. But actually after about 10 minutes it had gone and the sun came out. And you just thought, it's this odd thing, isn't it? Because is it the fans' responsibility to lift the England team? Or is it the England team's responsibility to lift the crowd? And neither did one for the other yeah, on Sunday. I, I, they only became exercise really when Argentina scored their second try and, and opened up that lead. I think it's... I wonder about the, the level of expectation for an Argentina game. You know, like next week Japan arrive and the, that that sold out before the Argentina game. I think because the ticket prices would have been lower. Um, actually, Japan are probably more... You know, they come with a um, an entertainment, entertain- an yeah. entertainment factor. I wonder whether whether there was a general sense of, of expectation that England should beat Argentina because they generally always do. But this Argentina team under Michael Checker, they have beaten New Zealand in New Zealand. They've beaten Australia. They've won a Test series against Scotland. You know they are they are as Eddie Jones correctly put it, they're a dangerous team who England didn't need to underestimate, but I just wonder whether there was almost a sense at Twickenham of on that on Sunday of people turning up, expecting them to win, and therefore expecting a show. Now, the conditions meant that certainly early on it was going to be dominated by the boot. We saw players, Marcus Smith, and stuff sliding all over the place early on before the, the water drained. And it just meant that what we had was a staccato game of spilled balls stupid penalties and that's really hard for a, a crowd to engage in the crowd who probably turned up later to Twickenham than they might have done because it was pouring with rain and so beers in the car park probably weren't the order of the day and it was just a, a perfect storm really of um of a of a pretty low-key spectacle and, and a crowd probably expecting England to be better than they were and maybe expecting England to win which um which is probably slightly misplaced because of how good Argentina are. But then, you know, England had come on the back of a two-win test series, in uh, two-on win uh, in the Australia Test series, and and it felt like in those t- towards the end of it, by by digging themselves out, they were making some strides forward. So I don't think fans are wrong to expect England to win that game, but it, it was just a perfect storm. I don't know whether it would sound even worse without it, but I absolutely hate the incidental music that comes on when nothing's happening. Or even, or there's a kick to touch and we get a, a sort of 30 seconds of something that comes on in the background. And I feel like that always punctures natural atmosphere, whether that's in Dublin, Cardiff, Twickenham, wherever. Mm. And you just think, unnecessary, unneeded. It'll, it'll feel bigger. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks' time, but the All Blacks will arrive. The ticket prices are even higher that day. And and yet, we've been there for England All Blacks games. There is there's a tingle in the air like there's there's this sense of this is a big day this matters and it was that's what it felt watching France Australia it's what it felt watching um uh South Africa Ireland beat South Africa and and it's what it felt watching Wales All Blacks although the All Blacks did pretty well in the first 20 minutes to to kill off that um although Wales fought back but we'll talk about that but it but they all felt like big occasions that's what i mean and this didn't at, not all. at all not at all and it will do later in the autumn, but the pressure's going to be massively on then. Yeah. Talking of artificial sort of creations of atmosphere, I think the final two games of England series will have light shows and things like that before kickoff because they're both late games, half five kickoffs. So maybe that will 
I don't know, excite a few people and the strength of the opposition, although, as we've said, the Pumas are a hell of a team at the moment, will lift the people. There'll be a few more expats in the crowd with a bit of back and forth. Yeah. There wasn't, it was silent when Argentina scored their two tries after half time, wasn't it? it yeah, was it really weird. was. It was weird. And you've got to realise that the Pumas have got players who would compete to get into, into World 15 squads in some positions, um, some of whom were outstanding on Sunday. Well, it wasn't the fault of the fans off the field. Let's get onto the field and let's dissect where England went wrong and talk about a few other games in the Autumn Nation series as well because there's plenty of good stuff that happened across the, the series. But let's start next after this with a bit of deeper chat about England's defeat to the Pumas. Right, Alex, we will get on to the other games. Wales, New Zealand, Ireland, South Africa, France, Australia... Scotland, Samoa and all sorts else but both of us were sitting at Twickenham as we said and we saw a lacklustre England team Eddie Jones afterwards blamed it on individual errors bad habits that are in his team the attack didn't look like it functioned again No, all the sort of the good work of Australia seemed to have dipped off again like, where do we sit now on a Monday well, with I, England? I'd quite like to see your betting account because at half time we were sitting next to each other in the stands and I'm I'm filing a live match report, so I'm sort of starting to construct something, and I'm thinking, well, if England win, I think they're 16-12 up, but if England win from here, then maybe this is what what I'll say. And you said, I think as the teams ran out, you're like, England could lose this. They're they're one silly try away from losing this game. This is at Mm. half-time, or just after half-time, and within about 10 minutes of you saying that, they'd they'd conceded twice and and were trailing. So uh, I don't know whether you lumped on at half time. <laughs> I don't actually bet too much <laughs> on the rugby, but maybe I should. Uh, but it was very astute because that's you know that's exactly what happened. And I think the context of this game is really interesting because they've lost. You could, if you narrow it in, they've lost one game by one point against a team who are very good. It's, is it the end of the world? No, it's not. And and just to back that up, in a volatile rugby scene at the moment where lots of middling teams are beating each everyone other. Everyone could be everyone, Which yeah. is kind of acceptable, but... Yeah, so if you narrow it into that, is it is it the end of the world on the, on one day? It's not. Did they did they perform to their best? No, they didn't. But, on, but there are two other ways of looking at it. There's the Eddie Jones way of looking at it, which is it's all, it's all going to be all right on the night. Just wait till we get to the World Cup. Effectively, wait till I get my players for four months in the summer and I'll actually train them to how I want them to be and then we'll go and try and win the World Cup. So don't worry about today. Which I don't buy because, as we've just discussed, people have spent 150 quid to be there and each game should matter uh, on its own um, as a standalone test match. And on that note as well, just to add some context, Michael Checker was asked about Mm. the laying down a marker for the World Cup for next year because both teams are in each other's pool. And he said, oh, I'm not really into markers. I think Test Match Rugby is is enough on its own merits, which, yeah, which is kind of music quite, to the fans' ears, I'd say. He's quite right. And and England and Argentina are taking very different approaches to it. They're in different situations, clearly. But Checker is, as we saw with Australia in 2015, is a master at making a big impact quickly. He did that with the Wallabies, turned them around and reached the final. We just listed before the break all the things that he's already achieved as Argentina head coach. Um, he's taken the view, win now, build momentum, build belief, build a fear factor, and then hit the World Cup. And Eddie Jones is trying to play it more canny, pretend that losing now is fine, Pyrrhic victory, because down the line we'll beat them at the World Cup. And But that that 
that relies on all of us, you and I sitting in the stand as, as sort of independent observers and all the fans buying into the fact that the only thing that matters is is the World Cup, buying into the fact that what you see now for your big day out at Twickenham um, really doesn't actually matter. I don't think anyone buys into that um, other than it's a handy narrative for a defeated England coach. The other context I was talking about is that um, where where this this looks really bad, this performance and this result, is that it's their fifth defeat in nine tests this year. Um, and they've lost the first game of all three campaigns. Um, it's their sixth defeat in ten games, if you include the Barbarians, with the All Blacks and South Africa to come. So the narrow view of on its own, they weren't very good. They, sh- they should have won the game, but didn't. I'll say I'll explain why I think they should have won the game. But but if you take the context of the year, and I was before the game, I was looking at um, who who is the team of the year? Is it France who are thus far undefeated with the Springboks to play in Marseille, Grand Slam champions, or is it Ireland who've lost twice, once to France, once to the All Blacks, but have won a series in in New Zealand and they've just beaten South Africa at home? Really interesting debate. So you look at the calendar year, those two teams setting the standards. England are miles behind that. And 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 Sunday was a demonstration of that. And that's why I, I'm it's such a, a bothersome performance for me, because they they had the platform to win that game. I thought the scrum for the first hour, maybe a bit more, did well. They had a nudge on. They needed decent gain line ball. Now they were spoiled a lot by Argentina, as we discussed, but they they had their big ball carriers were, were were gaining some momentum, but they couldn't play off it. They there was no penetration really out wide. There's no pace. Now they were missing Tommy Freeman, Johnny May through injury. Arundel off the bench, uh, Arundel, possibly, yeah, which doesn't help. But also, we know that Eddie Jones loves a massively physical backline, and we saw why for Joe Thockenasinger's try, whereas they're playing off the back of that scrum. Argentina are going, is Billy going to carry it around the corner? Where have we got Cock and Singer sweeping round off his wing and outside him is Manu. Like bang, 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 there are three massive options. And in behind is Farrell and then further further out is Smith. Loads of options there. It was too much for Argentina. That's exactly what Eddie wants. But we didn't see we didn't see enough of it. The attack was was narrow, it was cluttered, it was confused. I know the ball was wet. But England really struggled to retain possession in contact Billy Vunapola three or four times. The penalty count was the same, and yet England had roughly three quarters of the ball, three quarters of the territory, ha- had to make 56 tackles. Well, yeah, yeah. And Which the is the lowest ever. Lowest ever. Eddie, and the Pumas made 150 odd, the Pumas yeah, made. Yeah. All of that, I know those stats alone don't win games, but they demonstrate the platform England had to go and win that game. But they couldn't convert that into scoreboard mm. dominance. And then you come out in the second half. The Pumas are clearly way more fired up than England. You go, they're one try away from winning this game. Bam, they execute the best passage of play of First the game. First phase try move, don't First see that often. Dry ball, caught, caught Jack Noel out with a lovely sort of sweeping Loop move. move yeah. um, sort of peel move from the from the fly half. Santa Carreras. Carreras yeah. and, and, and they score. And then... And then Farrell gets pressured by the prop. Um, ball goes to ground and they score again. I just I, I put a line in the piece. It felt like they had they'd left the back door open for for the house to be ransacked, and that's exactly 
That's yeah. exactly what happened. They they had the platform to win it and didn't. And there were so many stupid mistakes. I think my problem with it and the comments that we've heard afterwards that maybe fans haven't, and we'll write more of them in the paper today and we did on Sunday into Monday, there's a couple of sort of built, not excuses necessarily, but reasons why they think they lost. One of them is Eddie Jones' constant thing about having not enough prep time. Mm. Um, he's been seven years England coach now, and in his first World Cup cycle, pretty much every time they started a campaign, they won the first match. So that wasn't a problem then. And now it really is a problem. And I think it's five out of the last eight um, starts to a campaign England have lost. And the ones that they've won, let's just have a look at the list. Italy... Well, they had um, Italy post-COVID away in an empty uh, Stadio Olimpico. They had the USA at Twickenham, Mm -hmm. which if they'd lost that, it would have been (laughs) unbelievable. And a Tonga game at the start of November, last November. Mm. They're they're the victories. And then the defeats are France away, 2026 nations off the back of the World Cup final. Um, Scotland at Twickenham behind closed doors, 11-6 in 2021. Scotland again at the start of this year. Australia first game of the tour this summer and then Sunday against Argentina. So this thing of not being able to start well, Mm. Eddie has had ample time to find a way of jump-starting England. And, and I think it's important now because we've been howling at Eddie Jones for a while on certain things but I do think there's a lot of responsibility on the players themselves there are really senior guys who've been on multiple Lions tours and have won 50 to 100 caps in that squad Ben Youngs Owen Farrell Maro Otoji Tom Curry who've been part of Eddie Jones squads for six seven eight years and they understand the whole thing of going from your club to your country Mm. so why can't they raise themselves at the start of campaigns? That's that's point number one. Point number two is the individual errors that Eddie Jones mentioned, correct, fair enough. But the individual errors are being made by some of the most senior players as well. Alex Coles, okay, he dropped a kickoff, but largely did all right. Mm. But then Carried silly on. penalties by Luke Cowan-Dickey, offside. You've got Billy Vinopola who got dropped or turned over four times. You got Ben Young throwing the ball twice straight onto the floor. You got Owen Farrell's missed pass that leads directly to Carreras's try. These are senior, long-term international rugby players who are making really quite basic skill errors. Like it's not Stewart, it's not Van Portfleet, it's not Willis and those guys. It's not the kids. And okay, Joe Hayes lost a couple of scrums in the last five ten minutes, but largely the skill errors are the senior guys. So that's a player problem. That's not an Eddie Jones problem. He's not on the field throwing passes. But then why why is it that we see Marcus Smith playing how Marcus Smith plays for Harlequins and Owen Farrell playing as Owen Farrell is is now playing for Saracens where he has led a change in mindset at that club mm. to to challenge in ways and attack in ways that, that, that Saracens haven't naturally considered before and yet we see none of it no not even close actually now it what i'm interested to know and i can't i don't profess to have the answer but is is that because a team like argentina are hunting 
with, with intensity in defence and, and closing down the time and space really quickly, forcing Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell to stand deeper and forcing them to, to play more strategically, which Test Rugby will always do because it's a higher standard. There's always less time. But we see so few examples of 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 intent to try and play. And again, the weather wasn't great at the start, but it did it didn't rain through the game. No, and I feel like we every, it's been raining for two weeks. Well, like yeah. every single day, yeah. it's been wet yeah. for two weeks. So, so I, like I, we I, know it was going to rain. I think uh, that wasn't a shock. But also, <laughs> it was such a staccato game that every time it restarted, and Eddie Jones made a point. He said, it "Feels nowadays that every play." Ends in a penalty. Mm. Well, every time it's a it's a dry ball. Every time you start, yeah. Um, I just, you know, you sat in with Martin Gleeson last week, yeah, yeah, who explained in the best detail that anyone's explained what what they're intending to try and do. In mm. he, he touched on it when we were in Australia. I asked him down there, and he, he talked in quite general terms about uh, about the, how they want to use Farrell and Smith, and generally Farrell take the ball to the lines. Smith play wider. That was mm. about as far as, it, as his explanation yeah. went. But last week he was more detailed, mm. and yet we just we don't we don't see it. No, I've, I'm trying to dissect it for the Monday more. So subscribers to the Times will get a bit more detail on that later. But my analogy, I'm trying to force a metaphor. Is it? It feels like England are I don't know trying to conjure some mad magic trick where they've like cut up their assistant into three and then suddenly at the World Cup it's like aha it wasn't cut into three after all it was all fine and whole and you just think if and if it isn't this great magic trick where you're trying to hold all this back and then it suddenly appears in all blossoming brilliance in the World Cup if it's not that then you sort of think well what was it all that about mm. what was it about but anyway we've done loads on England there and there'll be loads more in the times over the coming days and they've got Japan next week which would be a different context completely different team to play against with the way they play um, but let's touch on a couple of the others. We'll leave the Wales-New Zealand game for a bit because we've got Dan Bigger coming on, so he's going to be mm. brilliant talking about that. But I suppose, should we start in the Stade de France, Paris? Well, let, let me... That conversation that I said at the start about team of the year. Mm. So we've got... there are two. Each of those teams have got a big game to come. South Africa play... France play South Africa in Marseille on Saturday, which that will be, be a belter, yeah. jumping. It'll be a place to be... Incredible! I'd love to be there. Um, and Ireland, have, I've got Australia to play at home. Where I mean, I, I after going round and round the houses trying to work out who will win Team of the Year at the World Rugby Awards in Monaco in a couple of weeks' time, eventually came down on the side of Ireland because, all the, not because they're the world number one, because weirdly, France are undefeated in twelve months, eleven. 11, 11 matches, yeah. National de- record. National yeah. record, 11 matches in a row. And they're Grand Slam champions for the first time in a decade or so. And But the schedule's been easier. Yeah. They played Ireland at home. Japan they tour. They played Japan on, on tour. And they played and they they came through at the end with a great finish against Australia. Mm. I mean, I, hell of a finish. Damien Penno. Finish. <laughs> That's yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable finish. <laughs> um, I, I, I plumped for Ireland as as my team of the year. Two weeks prematurely, by the way, because we, the, the awards are in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> they lose the next few, and you're looking. At and it. if they lose, well, if they lose at home to Australia and <laughs> France beat yeah. South Africa, yeah, yeah, that does. As I, I did say, that does slightly yeah, yeah, yeah. change the picture. But it, I just started thinking about it after watching those two games, and 
they've been the standard bearers in mm. world rugby. And I and I I came down just on the side of Ireland because really the 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 feat of winning that series from one 0 down in New Zealand for the first time ever, and then the way they came through at home as world number one, which on the one hand really doesn't mean a huge amount as we just said, but on the other it it carries a a prestige like they're, they're there to be shot at and they lived with the most physical fierce team in in test rugby mm. and prevailed and i just thought that was outstanding and and so you look at those two games uh and the the quality on show for different reasons was a class above wasn't it anything that we sat through at yeah Twickenham. yeah yeah and i hate to always bring, bring it back to england because i know there's lots of listeners who aren't english but i think in the context of Ireland and France, the one thing that they're demonstrating at the moment that England don't and haven't for ages is winning when they're not playing well yeah. and winning yeah. in adversity or when they go behind in games. So do you agree with Ireland or would you go for France as I team think of the year? At the, yeah, it's, we need the context of the full autumn, obviously, but the the tar- it's like when you go into a gymnastics routine and you try a, a slightly more dangerous manoeuvre. The tariff's higher, isn't it? When you're going away to New Zealand and beating yeah. them away for the first time in history, yes, France hadn't won a Grand Slam before in the Six Nations, but their tour in the summer was Japan, very good team. They rotated, didn't take Dupont, but yeah, the, the Irish tariff is higher so they can get the 9.9 yeah. and, and France the 9.8 maybe. But the aside from the Peno try... France weren't actually that good, but found a way to win. And isn't that the point? That's the World Cup thing, isn't mm. it? Of If everyone's planning for this great day in the sun in France next year, England don't demonstrate that they can win games when the thing it's all hitting the fan. Yeah, And, it's, and, it's a and hall- France and Ireland are demonstrating that, that they and can. And it's a hallmark of this generation of French players, isn't it? Yeah. And you know problem we, solving on the pitch. Uh, we all as Anglo Saxons, we go, well that's Sean Edwards' influence, isn't it? Yeah. It's, and it's not just Sean Edwards, but there is a mentality in this team, in this French team, that's unlike their predecessors. Mm. That they can find a way to win. You know, yeah. they they're not boom and bust. You know, they can they not can play all. some of the most wondrous rugby, but they can also find a way to win in yeah. a tight one if they need to. And and the way that uh, yeah, it comes with confidence, perhaps, but the way that they they sought to win that game and then executed it at the end, and the the confidence to to to, to attack the way they did, um, you build that up over time. And it, you know, we've, we spoke about England, but you can't build that up over time if you're not if you're not trying things. Mm. And France are building and building all the time. And you know, would they be a worse team if if Peno had been scragged right on the line and hadn't scored that try. No, they they wouldn't. But it's the context. It would have been a narrow defeat in a great year. Yeah. Whereas a narrow defeat in a bad year is is almost seen as symptomatic of the of the problem. Um, and so yeah, it's, it's it was great for France. It was a, it was a great finish, and um, and then Ireland winning the way they won was just really really special. I thought. On the flip side of the Ireland one. Um... South Africa need to find a goal kicker. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Vilemse playing 10, not his absolute usual position, but kicking to touch was dreadful. And Colby missed a couple of kicks. He doesn't kick a lot. He has in the top 14, but not a lot. And actually, I've asked Opta for who are the top kickers since the last World Cup in terms of success. And actually, Marcus Smith is the top 85.5. And the lowest on the list of the top 10 
is Andre Pollard is on 78.7. So even when he's in the team, they're not ha- they don't have an 85% goal kicker. That's interesting. And that is an issue because yeah. they did and it was Pollard before, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. But that lost them that game. Like if they kicked two one penalty, but yeah. they had more yeah. than one, they would yeah. have won. But it changes that changes a lot because if you're playing against Andre Pollard and you know you've got a or you're playing against a high percentage kicker it might change how you how maybe, you attack rucks maybe. because you, you take slightly fewer risks maybe because... Uh, England should have thought about that when Buffelli was knocking them over <laughs> left, right yeah. and centre. Well, yeah, I tell you that. It <laughs> requires some adaptability on the yeah, field, which yeah. um, apparently England are going to be great at. But, um, <laughs> so I, cynical, Alex. Come I just on. thought... No, I, I, the other, and the other point I want to make, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Wales game when, when Dan Bigger joins us, but um, Ardy Surveyor mm. and Josh van der Fleer in a battle to be player of the year, I think. And Van der Fleer... Audrey in there? And Audrey's... I mean, it's definitely the, the year of the back rower. Yeah. Audrey's... It often is, to be and honest. And Audrey's sensational too. I just think Van der Fleer. And, and he, you know, he, he was... He's a European player of the year, isn't he? Yeah. F- for um, Leinster. Despite defeat, yeah. Absolutely enormous on the summer tour. Yeah. Um, and, and the same again against what is a... Really physical back row. Mm. Um, he's just got. He's got the all-court game. He's got touches of class on the ball. He, the way he reads the game, his positioning is so clever, and obviously his his ball his work on the ground, it's just phenomenal. Um, and it, I guess it shows. What are we, just just over a year on from from a Lions tour. If if there was another one coming up he'd be starting all I was just going to say that it's it, amazing how quickly yeah, it's changed it's, it's woe is anyone who talks about the Lions years out or years after Lions but it's amazing how different that team would look if if it was picked like this last summer if it had been moved one more year yeah, along yeah. or something it was, you often think that the players who the players who have played would have played, been incredibly different like, it would have been more than half the team probably would have been different at you, least but you think of players who have played on Lions tours you're like wow like they just timed it perfectly. Yeah, they had that year. Jeff players, Parling and those guys like yeah, that. Yeah, or a kind of a, like Mike Tyndall's not a lion. Yeah, yeah. And in 01 and in 05, he was unavailable or injured, and you know, mm. and but he won the World Cup in the middle. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and you that'll do. He's a kind of yeah, of course. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing like you go, well, Tyndall's not a lion, but you know that player is because of the yeah the timing of it. Um, but Van der Fleer. Just like what a player. I mean, I just love watching him play, and just the intelligence and the speed of thought, and the classy touches, um, so important to the Ireland team. Yeah. Well, look, why don't we try and talk about Wales? We said we'd leave them to the end, and um, lucky for us, really, that Dan Bigger isn't available for Wales because he's able to come on our podcast. So he also has had some big news in the week just gone because he's confirmed he's left Northampton Saints to move to Toulon mid-season. I don't quite know why he's decided to do that. Sounds horrible. But anyway, he joins us next on The Ruck, so after this, we'll hear from Dan Bigger. Right, so next on The Ruck, what a pleasure it is to be joined by Dan Bigger. And if you listen closely to your radios, you might be able to hear the lap of the Côte d'Azur, the waves, the sun, the sea, the sand, because Dan's off to Toulon. Tell us all about that to start with, Dan. The mid-season move, pretty rare. How did that all come about? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on, Will. It's a pleasure to come on. Um, uh, very, very strange, really. It was uh, it was quite funny because my my agent, well, it was it was um, I had a, I got two month old at the minute, but at two days old, um, 
my agent and me are quite close and um he knows I'm a big football fan. So it was it was the Ollie, my little boy, my my youngest, was two days old and I was sitting on the sofa and I was just about to watch Arsenal versus Man United, which was just about to kick off at four thirty on a Sunday. And uh, my phone started ringing and it was my agent. And I thought, mm, this is not the time. I thought I'd better take this call because this is very, very rare for him not to um, not to call at this point no, when I was watching the football. Um, and basically just said, Toulon are after a... Uh, they're obviously a little bit short. They've only got the 110 in high west at the minute there and um, want to sort of, you know, bulk the squad up a little bit and... I suppose, you know, and, and want to try and get you out your, your deal early. And I said, oh, look, I said, first of all, I said, look, it's really difficult for me with a, a two-day-old baby sitting on the sofa in my in my arms sort of thing. I said, it's probably a, a difficult difficult conversation to have. And uh, and then a few weeks later, a few weeks came, came and passed and they came back and uh, we sort of had a conversation with uh, family and my wife and, and everything. And we, we discussed that they're, that was possibly an option we were looking at anyway for the for, for six months time and um and just yeah to sort of we're quite happy to go with it but um obviously the big thing was how how good and how sort of helpful Northampton were in it really in terms of um I think everyone you know had come to the decision that I was going to be leaving at the end of the year anyway uh and that hopefully everyone sort of got a good deal out of it and in, in, in the short term and uh, not how I envisage leaving, but but really excited to 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 start a, a new chapter with the family. Yeah, it's one of those jokes, isn't it, of what first attracted you to the multi-year contract in the south of France. But you, you do leave <laughs> Northampton with a heavy heart, as you said, I think, in your statement as well. And they've served you really well, and you've you've always said you loved your time at Franklin's Gardens, haven't you? It's been it's well, honestly, it's been the best four and a half years of my career. I feel like I've improved the most. Uh, in those four and a half years, I feel like we've played some really good rugby. I've loved living in uh, Northamptonshire. I've I, honestly, I've absolutely loved, um, yeah, absolutely loved living in in the area. And it's just been, it's, I've just found that I've been looked after incredibly well by the by the guys. Everyone there has been brilliant to me. So it's it was a really dis- difficult decision to leave. Um, and like I said, it's one that I, I felt really difficult leaving halfway through a season, but. You know, I didn't know if this opportunity would be there at the end of the season, and it was one that I think it was it was too good for for, for myself and my family, and, that, and that's ultimately is a huge decision when thing. You know, if, if I was a, a single lad or just just even just me and and, and my my wife, it would be a, a different story. But I think when you've got a young family, it's really important to put them first, and I think the whole package is is going to suit me down to the ground, and um, I'm really excited, yeah. Dan, when you say it, it's a deal that suits everyone, obviously um, Northampton have had the chance to bring Finn Smith in earlier than they had planned. Um, what, what are you? Who are you leaving behind there? I mean, what, what do you make of him as a as a kid and as a prospect for for Saints and and, and even for England down the line? I mean, he's a he's a special talent, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He started uh, he started really well in terms of the two games he's played. He's um, he's looked really assured. Goal kicked really well, um, and obviously they've had. Um, two really good results so what what I think he'll bring is he'll bring real enthusiasm um, he's going to want to learn want, and he's in a he's in a perfect perfect environment to, to get better as an individual and, and help the team get better as well and, and along with James Grayson who I've I've played with for the last three or four or four seasons um, the two of them are going to push each other really hard James has been brilliant in the times that I've 
been away with Wales or or, or picked up a bump or whatever. Him, him stepping in, not not easy when you when he knows that he's not going to get loads of time. But um, Finns come in, and I think the, the two of them now, youthful guys, wanting to learn. They've got you know the best attack coach in 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 the in the league with with no questions in my opinion in terms of Sam Vesti and. Um, they're going to learn so much off him and his development is going to be brilliant. And I'm sure that he's going to be wanting to push on for, for England honours and um, uh, in, in years to come. But I think it's, it's been a really good start from him. And um, yeah, it's, it's worked out really well. I've, I've basically been traded in for a new model and um, it, seems, <laughs> it, seems to have, it seems to, it seems to have worked out so, so far. Yeah. He qualifies for Scotland as well. They might, I mean, they're not short of um, fly halves who's not in the squad, are they? But we might leave that. I, I was going to, I was going to say, yeah, they'll, uh, there'll be no doubt. They'll, I, I got no doubt they'll be sniffing around him because he, like I said, he's going to be, he's going to be. He's, you can tell he's got real quality, and um, and I think, like I said, with him, James, Grayson pushing each other, it's um, the, you know the shells are pretty pretty well stocked in the in the fly half department there, definitely. So the reason why we're able to talk to you um, this week is obviously because you're still injured. Um, so how are you on the recovery from that? You're targeting when's you targeting your return? Perhaps in December well, or something like that. Yeah, I think I think early December will be a good uh, would be a good start for me. I've, I've picked up, I've stepped up the rehab over the last, last the end of last week. Um, started doing a little bit of running and some some movement stuff. So uh, feel really good actually. It's um, as much as I've missed being involved in games. I've actually really, really enjoyed not having a bit of pressure on a Saturday and just focusing on myself, getting myself right, physically right, and uh, mentally switching off from, I suppose, the constant, you know, I can't remember the last time I missed a campaign through injury. So it's been really nice just to sort of focus on that. And the rehab's gone well. I've been looked after really well by uh, the Welsh medics at the minute, which uh, which I'm in and out of camp and things. So, um yeah, look, looking really good. So hopefully December time, early December, I'll be able to, to get up and running and um, uh, and get back playing. Did you go to the Wales New Zealand game on the weekend, or were you watching at home? Or I did. I, did. I took I took my um, I took my eldest and my wife. First time I've ever taken them to a actually taken them to a game right, as okay. a as a supporter. So it was it was actually quite a treat, really, going in and experiencing the match day as a I suppose as a fan on the weekend, as opposed to to playing in the game. So um, yeah, enjoyed it. I really enjoyed. Taking the taking the, the little one wanted to see. He's been on about wanting to see the hacker all week. Okay. So um, so I made sure I filmed the hacker for him, and he was he was he was enthralled with the hacker, and um, he, uh, he he seemed to enjoy that. When you're so close to the setup, because like if you were fit, you were the captain in the summer and all that. Do you watch it with a different context? I guess you must do. And because it was a big defeat, do you look at it differently from other people and don't get as sort of up or down about it? How do you kind of view it as someone who knows all the players and knows what they're trying to do? Yeah, it, it was difficult, wasn't it? Because obviously you, you start, you, you know, you gift 17 points to any team, let alone New Zealand, then it's a really difficult task. So I suppose looking at it, I was I was fearing the worst probably when they when New Zealand went seventy nil up after whatever it was, fifteen, twenty minutes. And um I suppose watching it you you kind of know what the what the cause are likely to be and, and what we're trying to achieve and things. But ultimately the game on the game on the weekend was New Zealand won so many more physical and battles and, and confrontations and collisions and it just made their game absolutely tick. I thought Savea and Aaron Smith were were different class in terms of eight and nine for them, and they just carried the ball incredibly well, won loads of collisions, and, and made it difficult. So I suppose from from me watching, it was really it was a strange feeling because, like I said, I haven't had 
that feeling too often. Um, so I was sort of concentrating on the game, thinking what the calls are going to be, rather than, I suppose, taking the the atmosphere in and really enjoying the occasion, if that makes sense. Is this the, um, one of the most sort of enjoyable periods to be an international rugby player that you've had in your career, Dan? Because it, that Wales game was in the middle of a of a sensational Saturday, really, of Test Rugby. And, and the Ireland-South Africa game, the the France-Australia game, and we, on Sunday we had England-Argentina, all really close, hard fought. It's it's hard to know who's going to emerge in 10 months' time at the World Cup as as the best. And does that actually make it more exciting, more fun for you? How, how do you view the landscape at the moment? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you look at you look at any team at the minute is probably on their day can can turn over anyone. And you look like you said, you look at how close the games were. And I know New Zealand ran away with it a little bit in the last twenty, but uh, every other game was within pr- pretty much within a score. And um, I think you've got so many good teams that are that are going to be there or thereabouts. And it, it's all about what you, what you don't want to be doing, I suppose, is is absolutely peaking. 12 months out sort of thing you know you want to be making sure that you're you're in good you're in good form you're you're keeping people fit and healthy but but also you want to make sure that you're you're just building slowly towards towards the world cup one thing i'd like to ask you about dan which came after england lost to argentina out of the, the chats we had with players and coaches and stuff and it's this thing of struggling to start quickly at the, at the start of a campaign and england have lost the first game of all their three campaigns this year and i know wales in the past have struggled with that sometimes the first November game, isn't it, that yeah. slow out the blocks. As a player, and maybe you've got more context with this now that you've been in England for a few years, how difficult is it to drag all the differing styles and differing players in to hit the ground running for that first one? And what can you do to kind of kickstart that as a senior player when you know that that's always been an issue? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not an easy answer because, sort of like you said, teams have, teams have struggled to... To do it, but what we've what we've always used to find with generally the squad we used to pick, certainly in Wales, it used to be a fairly settled squad. Used to have maybe one or two, you know what I mean, one or two chips. So generally, everyone was on board and knew the game plan inside out. So, so I suppose it's it's difficult to come together after not playing since the summer tour to then all of a sudden have a week together or a couple of weeks together, and then make sure you hit your straps. And I think that's why you look at certainly from our point of view, how we always seem to get better as tournaments go on because you spend more time together, you, you get to know the, you know, the systems and the calls and the, the, the training setup more and more. And I think you just get used to things a little bit better uh, and a bit more comfortable. Last rugby question. Um, as someone who's played for years at, at 10, whose attacking systems are you enjoying that maybe aren't Wales? Like You're looking at other teams and going, I'm loving the way that they're putting things together, their shape France and Ireland the standard bearers for that in the northern hemisphere at least. I, I think so. I think you look at you look at France and, and I mean first of all it's no coincidence that Sean Edwards has signed for France and you know France have spent a lot of years with so much potential, haven't they? In terms of not quite performing or not quite producing in big games and all of a sudden you sign, you know, one of the very best and you know, there's no coincidence that they're doing well. But I think uh, you look at I like I like I love the way that, that France are playing. They've got Obviously, you know, two absolutely outstanding halfbacks in, in DuPont and, and Intermac, but they've got that real, they've got a lovely balance in the centre as well in terms of with with Dante, who's, who's going to, you know, he's going to be up, uh, an up and down centre and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but he's going to provide gain line and get you in the right, over the over the top of people. And then you've got Fico, who's got, who's got that little bit of silky skills and a little bit more guile and 
um, to, to go with that, the back three they've got. So those those boys are doing really well. And, and someone who I've got huge amounts of time for in terms of Johnny Sexton Island is just seems to be getting better and better with, with age. I know he's he's had one or two sort of issues injury-wise and, and, and bits and pieces, but he just... The way in which he pulls the strings for he's, he's the heartbeat of Ireland, isn't he? And the way he just brings people into play. You, you mentioned Sean Edwards there, and I was listening to another podcast. I don't know if you heard it, but they were asking me about his his possible future after this World Cup. And he said, "I need to borrow Dan Bigger's calculator for my next contract." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, did, he, he has he has texted me. To me. He did text me saying he was now a Toulon supporter now. So yeah. I hope I hope that he'll I hope that he'll pop into. He said you he said you know they pay you in euros, not pounds. So. Um, <laughs> He was uh, he was on good form, so it'd be great to if Sean pops in a few times. Actually, I think he's living down. I think he's down in Perpignan. Yeah, actually, Perpignan. Living. Yeah, so yeah. he could hopefully pop across. But I would I would ima- I would imagine Sean's doing pretty well for himself. Don't worry, don't worry about that. Sean's not Sean's not short of a couple of quid. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Well, look, Dan, we'll, we'll let you get off and learn your French. For that was definitely offside, ref. For, for when you get down to the south yeah, of France, maybe it may, it may be a good thing that I can't speak French yet. Anyway, so the rest may <laughs> get a bit of a bit of a break. <laughs> pleasure to have you on, Dan. Um, an amazing and good luck for the good luck for the future and the, and the next move. And everyone will follow your progress with interest down there. And hope to see you back fit soon. But pleasure to chat to you again, mate. Thanks, bro. Always a pleasure, mate. Take care. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. in that Cardiff Blues Leicester yeah. uh, European Cup semi-final against Leicester just sort of shanked it left and it's oh it was heartbreaking for the French and it's they, one of those where as soon as you kick it you're like oh no yeah. not hit that properly and just yeah. can't get it back yeah. yeah brutal wonderful great finish to the game you know I think we, we spoke on the pod last week and Jess and Rachel Burford on their Thursday pod they all expected New Zealand to, to make it which is when you look at where New Zealand were a year or so ago when they came on tour of England and got got pumped by England they've made enormous strides just by playing and by getting some top class coaching from Wayne Smith and, and his um, and his team but yeah we almost you know and, and actually that the, it's one of those in that you you want the host team to do well because it just elevates the whole tournament and this final at um, Eden Park's a sellout isn't it yeah I think. already and, I think it's going to be sold out um, which is amazing effort 40,000 or so I was reading the ratings when when the the All Blacks played Japan. It clashed with the Black Ferns. Black Ferns got a higher TV rating in New Zealand. The the semi final, I think, beat the the British Low Cup TV rating. So doing, it's been brilliant. It's just hard harder for us to engage with it because it, the games have been overnight. But you watch the you know in England are, are thirty games unbeaten. Yeah. Um, so they beat Canada, obviously, in their semi final. They beat the Canada. closest one in the tournament. Yeah, 26, yeah. And, 19. and they you know Canada 
Elgin Alderman, our colleague who's down there, called them the, the last pro bono team in the competition. And, yeah. You know, an amateur team who've been living out of suitcases for six months. What a brilliant effort from them. And, and if ever there was a message to be sent to the Canadian rugby authorities to, to plough in some investment, it's it's this. There's, there's another World Cup in in a few years' time in England, 2025. Uh, Canada should have a great chance to, to come and compete. And also, sorry, on a wider message as well, and we see this sometimes in the men's and women's sevens game as well, is that rugby doesn't always need to honeypot around the same countries. Like yeah, The men's Canadian sure. team used to be pretty good, and if we ever have Steve on, he loves the 91 yeah. guys, Al Sharon and those Sharon, guys. Yeah. yeah, but the men's team has kind of... Well, they've been mismanaged and all sorts, haven't they? Yeah. But you see, like USA and the men's sevens and teams like Kenya, and that, that there are pockets of growth that can be tapped into in rugby generally as a sport, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, there are. And and you know, the, the Red Roses are doing a, just a sensational job. And and thirty games unbeaten, as I say. And I was saying to someone that took them on Sunday, they they remind me a bit of the the England men's team in '03, just obviously the best team in the world. We know the the narrative of that of Clive Woodward, Clive Woodward's team in '03. They they had peaked in the way they played certainly that summer, but they, it was then about right. We are we know we're the best. Let's just, we've got to get through these games. Cling on for as long find as a possible. way to keep yeah. yeah keep that level. I guess we don't yet know about the narrative of this England women's team whether they have yet peaked. I mean, who knows what yeah. what's to come? But it just has that feel to me that they they've gone into this tournament with all all expectations to win it, and they're being asked some tough questions of themselves. And they are finding answers. They're finding ways through these games. And are they playing the best rugby they've ever played? Probably not. But they're playing winning rugby. And that is all that really matters. Certainly the, a World the Cup, level yeah. of, We spoke about this last week. The level of expectation on them is such that people are expecting them to come and put 50 points on everyone. And it's a good thing, actually, for the tournament and for, for women's rugby in general that, that they haven't just mm, just walked yeah. over everybody. And... and um, but yeah, I could just see that parallel. I can now see a really tense final. I mean, yeah. 03, England played Australia in <laughs> Sydney, won in extra time. Echoes of this. I yeah. can to- you can see mm. you can see how tight it will be to go in go to Eden Park, you know, New Zealand at home with their tails up. Um, to go and win that would be it would be a real achievement. Uh, and you know, we all we all came into this tournament with expectations that England will win the World Cup. Mm. To do so, and should I think, and should, well. yeah. but to do so, they'll have to prove that they're the best. Yeah, yeah, do you know what yeah. I mean? Which seems weird. They're thirty unbeaten, but they'll have to overcome a massive hurdle. In, I in find the it ferns. interesting too that the sort of ultimate context of how good both those teams are is against each other in a World Cup final. That's yeah. like so perfect, isn't perfect. it? Because as you said last autumn, England battered the Black Ferns fifty um, odd points. And neither team have had a, a game of that context since, really. Like, England have had some France games that have been close, as they always are. But the ultimate thing is, yeah, but how are they going to do against the Black Ferns who beat them in the last World Cup final? And the Black Ferns have also had this thing where they've been like, right, change all the coaches, get Wayne Smith in, get everyone from Steve Hansen's daughter and all sorts. Like, let's, yeah. let's sort yeah, this yeah. out, get Mike Cron, the scrum Mike Cron, yeah. guru in. And they're, uh, the only real ultimate context of how, if that any of that works, is can they beat brilliant, England? Isn't it? isn't it brilliant? We'll have our preview pod out on Thursday, but it's just, I think Jess is talking about maybe doing another big watch-along party at the Sports mm. Cafe at six o'clock on Saturday morning. It's, you know, coffees and bacon rolls. It's like, it's perfectly set up, as you say. Well, it's just, um, 
it's brilliant. And then, uh, and then we'll be off to Twickenham where it'll, uh, almost certainly won't live up to <laughs> what, <laughs> what we'd have just watched at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd be great to be down in, in New Zealand for it. But yeah, we'll have our pod on Thursday and Elgin's down there. So Here's the last, um, and again, it's a bit like when you were talking about Ireland and France and those guys and always bring it back to England. I'm sure women's rugby fans or rugby fans will be bored of us then trying to contextualise it with men's stuff. But it's just an interesting narrative, isn't it, of what you do between World Cups and then what you do at the World Cup. So if England don't win the World Cup, it's a massive failure. But at least they won every game before it, broke world records, won Grand Slams. Whereas in Mm. the England men's context, it's, oh, well, it's all about the World Cup. And they've not won anything in the interim period for a couple of years either. And then... Yeah. You make a two individual errors, someone gets sent off in the World Cup quarter final, you go home and you think, all oh, right, so we all, we were all waiting for that, were we? Anyway, <laughs> welcome to the Awesome Nation series, everyone. We were saying before we recorded, actually, it's been quite a sort of grim and nasty start to the rugby season, hasn't it? And we're all just saying, like, right, international rugby will come back, England are playing, like, different context to it all, and you just get here on a Monday morning and go, Okay. Yeah, but it, but it was brilliant. <laughs> Saturday was brilliant. Yeah, it was. Saturday it was. was brilliant. So don't allow a kind of a grey, grim day at Twickenham to overshadow what, what was a really good day of Saturday. When you start with the women's games in the morning through to the men's games in the afternoon and into the evening, I mean, it was an unbelievably good day of of international rugby. Yeah, and let's end it with God, Goddess of the Week, our nominations. I've got a couple of options to mind, so I'll see where you go first for yours. Uh, okay, so... I name-checked Ardi Surveyor and Josh van der Fleer already, just two like, magisterial performances from those two guys. Um, and Emiliano Buffelli for Argentina, 25 points, uh, that wonderful finish in the corner from, from the best moment of the game. He deserves a shout too, but um, I'm going goddess of the week and Abby Dow for that just sensational try. She scored for England in the, in the World Cup semi-final. Um, to to tee up this this humdinger of a final against against the Black Ferns. So yeah, Abby get Abby, and not just for the well, I guess yes, just for the tribe, but the story, mm. the comeback story that we've spoken about on the pod before, that coming back from a horrific leg break uh, in double quick time to make the squad, to come off the bench in the opening game, and then to score a try in like she scored in the semi final, she gets my vote. Yeah, brilliant nomination there. I'm going to go for another try score. I mentioned him earlier, Damien Penno. Uh, the break, the fend, the try to win it for France. Lights going everywhere. Win by a point so ridiculous and yeah, well played. Like it sounded like Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> Classic try. <laughs> but yeah, no, that what that was unbelievable. I mean, when I was watching it live, it's one of those things I, th- I always find a moment of of sport that makes you laugh because it was so good. Like, I remember Ben Stokes' catch at the beginning yeah. of the Cricket World Cup yeah. where I think Nasser Hussain's commentary was like, oh, no, you can't do that, Ben Stokes. And yeah. if you're sitting there laughing because it's that good, I think that's my tariff for a very good piece of sport. And that made me laugh. So there you go. So that has been the first ruck of the Autumn Nation series for us or one of many from the season so far. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends and join us next week. But that's all for now. See you next time.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on, settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.